Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Sunday, May 21st. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. Most of us think we use the technology, but in reality, the technology is using us. And I guess it's more accurate to say that the purveyors of technology are the ones that are actually using us. And I say this because, you know, we are actually, when it comes to the technology, particularly when it comes to AI and general AI, what we are on the cusp of experiencing in our everyday lives and every facet of our lives, we really are the frog in the water. You know that sort of parable or saying that when you put a frog into water, if you put it in cool water and you slowly turn the water up to the point where it's boiling, the frog never notices the difference. And at some point, it's dead. It's been boiled alive. But if you throw it into scalding hot water, it'll jump out instantly. So it's a matter of getting used to it. You know, I think it's actually the word um, propinquity, which means that if you do something often enough and long enough, you get used to it, even if the thing you're doing is painful. So we are, in fact, like the frog in the water when it comes to AI. And the reason is, is that over time, we have become slowly but consistently more involved in, entwined with, reliant upon the technology. And up to a point, and I would probably say up to the point of social media, while you could use the internet, you could use the technology for good or for ill, you weren't predisposed in a sense to use it against your better judgment or against your highest good. But something happened with social media. And the best way that I can explain it is really to communicate to you the essence of an interview that I watched this week with Tristan Harris. Tristan Harris is, well, he used to work for Google. He's an American technology ethicist. And I say he's an ethicist because, well, not just because that's the definition of what he is. In fact, if you look it up on Wikipedia, that's what you're going to find. But because... He really is on the forefront of trying to get us all to look at the ethical considerations around AI. He was at one point executive director and co-founder, well, he still is, of the Center for Humane Technology. And as I said, early in his career, he worked as a design ethicist for Google. He quit wasn't fired. He quit Google because he has ever since advocating for understanding and minimizing the negative impacts of digital technology. So some of the points he made, I'm going to try to summarize because I think they're critical. And they're critical because we are on the verge of what he calls the second encounter with AI. So let me go back to the first encounter and let me lay a little groundwork. 
People with different realities, people who perceive different realities cannot converse. You know this because of the political situation we're in in this country, the division, right? There are people literally who see two different realities of what's happening in relationship to our nation, our border, our economy, our our social interactions, all of it, COVID, you name it. You and I know there are two different groups out there who literally perceive two different realities, which is why we can't communicate with one another. Well, the first contact with AI really was social media. Because social media was designed, follow this, it was designed to engage you and keep you engaged. That was the intent. It was designed to keep you there and ultimately to addict you to that position of constantly needing to be on or return to social media. And what it does because of the algorithms and because of the giant let's call it AI brain working in the background, it reaffirms whatever your reality is because it keeps giving you more of what you perceive to be or what you tell it you're interested in. So when you click on a certain YouTube video or a certain website, the giant AI brain that's running in the background is in essence doing calculations rapidly to determine what you might want to see next based on your last selection. And it feeds you more and more of what you already perceive as your reality. So it enhances, right? It, it solidifies the view of the world you already have. It is, in, in essence, the opposite of critical thinking. So if you know the name Thich Nhat Hanh, he's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. He's also a peace activist and a prolific author and a poet. When Thich Nhat Hanh visited Google years ago, he said, it's never been easier to run away from ourselves. So what did he mean by that? Well, it's really easy to get lost in social media, to get lost in the technology. And by doing that, We don't have to, in essence, face reality. And when we don't face reality, we don't have to deal with ourselves, with our own shortcomings. So let me get back to Tristan Harris. The first encounter was social media, okay? And it was a race among those companies, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and TikTok. It's been a race among those companies to maintain your engagement. Well, now let's look at what Tristan Harris and others are calling the second encounter with AI. This is a different kind of race. This is a race to intimacy. I want to repeat that. This is a race to intimacy. What do I mean by that? Well, the companies who are spearheading this current race are racing to see which one of them can get the most intimate relationship with you. Why? Because that's where the profit will be. P-R-O-F-I-T, not P-R-O-P-H-E-T. That's where the monetary profit will be. Why? Because we are on the verge of you having a personal bot that is your closest relationship. AI is going to satisfy your every need virtually. 
it's going to do that. And the more it does that, the more you're going to want to be with it. And while this sounds very Orwellian, it's not very far off. It's probably less than a couple of years off because the technology exists now to make it happen, to get you intimate with a non-human, to get you intimate with AI. And who's leading the charge? Well, there are several companies, but the main one, the one who's driving this is Microsoft, Bill Gates. You know, in 2016, Microsoft released a chatbot in Asia. It had 650 million users. Of those 650 million, 25% of them had said to the bot, I love you. Think about that. They were engaged with AI emotionally as if it was another human being. Now, the danger in all of this is that half of the AI experts today, authors of expert papers in AI, when polled recently, said that there's a greater than 10% chance that humanity goes extinct or totally disempowered from second encounter AI. Think about that. The example that Tristan Harris gave is, if you are about to get on an airplane, let's say a 747, and a whole bunch of engineers who had designed that plane were standing at the bottom of the steps as you were getting onto the plane, and they told you that you had a better than 10% chance that that plane was gonna crash while you were in the air and everyone was gonna die, would you get on that plane? I, don't, I wouldn't get on that plane, and most likely you wouldn't either. And yet, as Tristan Harris said, we're all being onboarded on an AI plane without any democratic dialogue or approval. So we're being herded, ushered, pushed, shoved onto the AI plane, so to speak, onto using AI, second-generation AI, second-encounter AI, where there's a greater than 10% chance it will annihilate humanity or at least enslave us, meaning completely disempower us. You know, Enrico Fermi, who was an Italian and later a naturalized American physicist, who was the creator of the world's first nuclear reactor and who worked on the atomic bomb. When Fermi was asked, why there is no contact from other civilizations in the cosmos, you know what he said? He said because eventually they built technology that was so powerful, they destroyed themselves. <laughs> you know, there's two stories that come to mind around that. The first is the Tower of Babel story from the Bible. And we know it doesn't end well, and it won't end well this time either if we don't get it right again. The Babel story is that the generations of people before the flood, before the great flood, were interested only in themselves. They thought of themselves as superhumans, and they lived each one for themselves. They used violence and force against weaker neighbors, and they paid absolutely no attention to the laws and the rules that governed them. 
However, after the flood, something interesting happened. Humans began to multiply, they filled the earth, and they all spoke one language. And they understood one another very well. It was an opposite code of living than what had existed before the flood. So now, after the flood, all speaking one language, the individuals didn't count for themselves alone. They counted only as part of a community. And they had to subject their own interests to those of the group, of the greater group. History teaches us, the Bible teaches us, that had they continued to live that kind of social life, they might have done okay, but they kind of overdid it. The strength that they were able to muster out of their organization, out of their collective uniting, shall we say, and the fact that they all spoke one language made them proud. It made them so prideful they turned against God. And they decided to build a tower that we know as the Tower of Babel. Why? Because they wanted to reach the heavens to make themselves equal with God. Obviously, the end of that story doesn't end well as we know it. God decided to destroy them for their arrogance and destroyed their inability to understand one another. And ever since, humans have spoken multiple different languages. One of the points that Tristan Harris made, and I digress for a moment because I want to tell you the other story about technology destroying an entire civilization. Tristan Harris made the point that, in essence now, all applications of AI are language. And it's very hard for me to explain that to you in this podcast because it's rather technically involved and difficult, and I'm not sure I even have enough of a comprehension to be able to communicate it to you effectively. But I want to make this point. Tristan Harris is saying, both in the interview I watched, but also in his one-hour special on YouTube called AI Dilemma, which you should watch if you haven't, he and his co-presenter make the point that whether you're in physics, whether you're in business, whether you're in government, the new application of AI is all language. Everything can be turned into language. In essence, an AI language kind of sounds like all of them speaking one language in the Tower of Babel when they became so arrogant because of the power they had amassed. That's one of the cautions, right? The Tower of Babel story. Because I believe the Bible is instructive. Whether you take it literally or not, whether you believe it's divinely inspired, There are signposts in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the Torah, and in the the Christian New Testament. There are signposts. There are morals. There's guidance around human behavior that is nothing short of wisdom. And I think the Tower of Babel is one of those stories that holds that kind of caution and wisdom that we should be looking at right now as AI is beginning to potentially outthink and therefore enslave humanity without an ethical and moral fence around it. So the second story is in the spiritual realm, and I have lots of friends in that realm. I'm one of the people that are in that realm. As you know, I'm a lawyer and I'm a mystic as well. In that realm, forever, 
those of us in the spiritual world have talked about the lost continent of Atlantis. And almost all of us, down to the last person, believe that, and we say we believe it because we sort of have a memory of it of sorts, I guess, that what happened to the lost continent of Atlantis is that they had developed technology so advanced without developing the means to control it. It became controlling of them, and it destroyed them. It destroyed everything, hence the lost continent of Atlantis. Whether you believe in the lost continent of Atlantis as having even existed, let me at least say that that story too can be instructive. So where are we? Well, all of humanity is now about to reckon with a new level of power that theoretically we've never before encountered, at least not in our present consciousness on the planet Earth as we know it. We've never encountered this level of power before. And the real question is, should we even be playing with it? Should we even be considering the possibility of letting it loose? Because that's what's happening. There are no constraints on on this race to intimacy with these four or five major tech companies that are seeking to be the first to get you a personal relationship with a bot. That question is, are we wise enough to have that level of power released upon humanity? Because there's a positive and a negative to it. The positive is, is that we will, the benefit, let's say, is that we will solve things we've never even dreamed we'd come close to solving. We will probably solve just about every major disease in a matter of no time because the amount of data that AI can sift through and make conclusions about and even make projections about the way in which it can teach itself even beyond what we program it to do. It's self-learning. It's self-emerging. There will be incredible strides in science, medicine. There's also the destruction of humanity on the other side, the detriment. The benefit versus the detriment. And as I said, most of those authors of expert papers believe that there's a greater than 10% chance that that's the outcome, given the road we're on now. I have been saying for probably 20 years, I've been saying it, I've been writing it, I've been talking about it, that the technological development outpaced our social, psychological, and emotional development. And so I believe that we are dangerously on the cusp of encountering and releasing a power without any comprehension emotionally, intellectually, psychologically, wisdom-wise, however you want to look at it, I believe that we're not up for the job. And these companies for sure have absolutely no concern for the ethics or the downside of the AI race that they're in. Because for them, for the Bill Gates of the world, Mr. Vaccination, Mr. COVID vaccine, they're in it for the power and they're in it for the profit. Tristan Harris made the point that social media colonized our adolescents. It colonized them because it made them think 
that they either were going to be socially included or socially excluded based upon whether or not they were on Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok or Facebook. And the question for them became, do you want to exclude yourself from socialization? And of course, at teenage years, that's probably the most important thing in your life is to be included with your peers in a socializing manner. The interviewer who interviewed Tristan Harris said, you know, you almost want to take your kids away and, and disengage them from all of this technology. You almost want to move into the woods, right? And pull them away from all of this. So I share with you a personal story. My daughter, my ex-husband and I adopted my daughter when she was two years old. She came from China. And because she was two, so because she had spent the first two years in either an orphanage or foster care in China, I knew she needed bonding with us. And so I convinced my ex-husband that we should buy a home in a very rural area, far away from malls and materialism, as much in nature as we could be, given that we aren't farmers by design or ranchers, we bought some acreage in what's considered sort of horse country, Chester County, suburban Philadelphia. And all of our neighbors were farms. Because of that, my daughter was far away from materialism. And I limited her exposure to television to one hour a day. She had no computer. She had only books and nature and family and a swimming pool and animals. That was it. Raising her in that way was exhausting. It wasn't easy. Television wasn't a babysitter. I didn't even have babysitters, actual babysitters. For those first six years of her life with us, so from two to eight almost, she was with my ex-husband and I all of the time. We went out to dinner, we took her. We went to the movies, we took her. Anywhere we went, we went out for the day, we went with her. On the weekends, we played board games and walked in nature and did things that were uniting and bonding. As I said, it wasn't easy. It was exhausting. And I would actually say that in part, it may have contributed to my giving up my law practice and ending my marriage because it was incredibly demanding. She was the focus above all else. She didn't have a computer. She didn't have access to a computer until we moved from the country to a suburban neighborhood where she went into public school. She had been in religious school prior to that. She went into public school and she was in middle school before she ever even began to work on a computer. And she was 18 years old before she got her first Mac. But the outcome, let me tell you the outcome my daughter, who is 30 now, is one of the most remarkable, grounded, focused, responsible, thoughtful, aware, <laughs> courageous, independent, able to think critically person I know in her peer group. She's remarkable, I believe, because she was not exposed to all of the garbage and all of the inhumanity that occurs when children, certainly adults, but most impactfully children, spend the majority of their time on technology. You know, human relationships are messy because they're work. 
they're uncertain, they're, they cause us to have to think critically. If you sum up human relationships, I guess you could say what I just said, which is they're hard work, they're messy, they're uncertain, and they require critical thought. They require that you think for yourself. To the contrary, AI is not work. It's not messy. It's certainty, certainty of outcome. It's no need to think critically. It's no need to think for yourself. It's no need to think. That, my friends, is the end of free will. Those purveyors of AI, particularly second encounter AI, will shift your point of view and you won't even know that it wasn't your free will that made the shift. It was them. They molded you. They molded you to a place you didn't even know you were going and probably didn't even want to go. There's an expression that we are the product of the five people we're closest to in life. Imagine what you will be like if you are exposed most often with an AI relationship or predominantly AI relationships, both professionally and personally. Free will is what distinguishes you from all other life forms, you and me. Take that away and we are reduced from free will to AI will. We humans are very uncomfortable with the unknown. So if you find the unknown uncomfortable or even scary, then AI will is the scariest unknown of all. It's coming. It's actually here. And within the next two years, if the experts know what they're talking about and the cautions are based in fact, it will be in every aspect of our lives. And we won't know what's real and what's not. I never realized when I named this podcast, Think for Yourself, the levels on which that title would apply. I certainly never realized that it would be a caution that if heeded to, might keep you from being enslaved to what's coming. So more than ever, now that I understand, as I hope you do, that we don't use AI, it uses us deliberately, maliciously, for greed, for profit, for control. I hope you understand more than ever before that when I sign off and say, thanks for listening, I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again next Sunday. And until I am, by all means, think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.